What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's returning episode of Armchair Producers. I am your host, George Terran, alongside the man, the myth, the talent himself, the one who will save us all, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I am fine and dandy, and welcome back this week. We had some mm-hmm. issues, um, some logistical issues that prevented us from going on last week, so apologies for that to our regular viewers and listeners about that, but until someone uh, mm-hmm. starts paying us for this shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, now, kind of for those, mm, so, sometimes, sometimes we are, you know, God's plaything as we have experienced multiple times. But that doesn't stop us. That never stops us. But let me just actually just point out a little something new here. Up in the top corner, up here. Yeah, it is a QR code where you can um, sort of donate to us. If you're someone who's th- thinking of getting into streaming or something like that, you can go in and it's a referral code for Restream, which is the software that we use to do, to deliver this delightful show to you in all the wonderful places, including Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter, as well as I think I might even have it set up on LinkedIn, perhaps. Ooh. Really good multi-channeling, super easy to set up. And when you sign, if you sign up using that link, you get $10 discount off of your first month, I think it is, which makes it super damn cheap. And we get a little bit of money um, towards the show as well. So it's not too bad. Not too bad. If you feel like it, it's up there. You can scan it at any time. And we do appreciate it. Um, but what a week to come back, my friend. What a week. It is All of happening. Uh, Super Bowl Monday yes. here in Australia. Super Bowl Sunday in the US. For, mm-hmm. And I know you're a sports fan, sports fanatic. Um, Goes without saying. Um, his, his love for uh, his local soccer football sporting team is uh oh, yeah. is renowned. yes yes the the, um, the long melford people <laughs> but our, our love of the, the surgeons what was it again what was it the surgeons oh the Millwall. Millwall. Millwall Millwall football club that's what mm-hmm. that's the official team of the uh armchair producers but, um <laughs> the upside is that they really release all the big new trailers yes i mean movies as part of along with mm-hmm. the fancy commercials um mm-hmm. and their pregnancy reveals um we get the big trailers and, and the one we wanted to chat about mm-hmm. quickly before we crack on with our normal uh programming of the uh, uh chain movie would be the flash trailer we finally get to see ezra miller's yes. the flash this thing has been kicking around for i want to say three or four three years. years yeah i mean i hear it's been kicking around for a long time but mm-hmm. i don't exactly know when production started on this but it's been in production a long time and it's been tumultuous, what with all the Ezra Miller problems, shall we say, to be polite as possible. But um, before we go too too much further into it, let's just actually, I'm going to run the trailer just so that people can actually see it and uh, get their own opinion on it. Frankly. This is the podcast, YouTube it now. Yes. Tell me something. You can go anywhere. Another timeline. Another universe. So why do you want to stay and fight to save this one? Because this is the world where my mom lives. I'm not going to lose her again. Time has a pattern that it can't help reliving. 
different people, different worlds. Drawn to each other like magnets. My face. So my face. If you were to go into the past, you have no idea what the consequences can be. Ruth, I could fix things. You could also destroy everything. This can't be happening. I completely broke the universe. Sod, we've been waiting for you. I created a world with no metahumans. And now there's no one to defend us. Want some help? Kids are going to want to see this. There we are. So coming there out you go. This summer. And the quick summer. thing, first of all, Michael Keaton saying, I'm Batman. Yes, you are. Always were, always will be in so many ways. <laughs> um, we'll try and make this quick because that's the, uh, the new ethos mm. of the show. Mm. Obviously, the uh, Michael Keaton reveal which isn't really a reveal because we all knew about it happening anyway. But yep. him saying, I'm Batman again, is far and away the highlight of this film, this trailer, which is a good trailer. Yeah. It's a good trailer. Like, I, I saw the trailer for Guardians 3, and mm -hmm. it's shit. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's a terrible trailer compared to this. But let's remember the, the rule of Marvel and DC That's movies. It. Marvel don't make good trailers. DC do. And then the end product often ends up swapping around. So yeah, I, mean, I remember how hyped I was about Suicide Squad, the first Suicide Squad after seeing oh, yeah, with Queen on yeah. it. And oh my God, it was such a terrible film. So it doesn't mean much. You're right. Um, but Michael Keaton in this, I think, I mean, sort of been monitoring the, the comments out there from people in social media and stuff. And everybody says the mm -hmm. same thing. I mean, yep. But only for Keaton. Yeah, I, I mean, the as as is always the case with these sorts of things. There's been early reviews uh, or early screens, and people saying, "Oh, it's fantastic!" And James Gunn, new new showrunner, the new Kevin Feige of DC, has come forward and said it's one one of the fantastic things. Like you can't believe all of that. This movie has got so many plates that it's got to spin. It's gonna have to be something genuinely incredible of a production not even just a movie but a production to get 
things where it needs to go for the official launch of the DCEU as we now will have it. It's, it's weird, right? So this is yeah. the DCEU product, as is the new Aquaman film, as is the new Shazam film. But that is kind there. of, kind of, sort of, maybe I don't know. But kind we- of, they're they're doing they're doing what the, <laughs> they're doing what I finally told them to do years ago. They're doing Elseworlds. It is it's it's what I told it's them. Only, it's only the Joker films and the Bat for Batman the Matt Reeves Batman films that are technically Elseworlds films. I think everything it's else, moment, is, yeah technically still part of the now defunct dc eu um mm-hmm. you're right they've got a lot to juggle uh, yeah. just to talk about how long how long this film's been kicking around mm. the film was initially scheduled for release on march 23 2018 that was five years ago when one of those first announced their dc eu films before it was moved to march 16 of the same year in mm-hmm. july 2016 his release date was assumed by warner brothers picture tomb raider which sucked um yep. the flash was not given another release date at that time when mm-hmm. andy machete was hired as director in july 2019 the film was slated for release release july 1st 2022 then it was moved up to july june 3rd 2022 the film was moved to november 2022 but water <laughs> its regular release schedule due to covid covid19 pandemic in march 2022 it was moved to june 23 2023 uh to release date to its current march 2023 date for additional post-production work on CGI, yada, yada, yada. And I think now mm-hmm. that said June in that trailer. So it done from March mm-hmm. back to June. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an idea that this film has been kicking around in one form or other. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. the fact that um, that uh, Ezra Miller has had some well-noted legal troubles mm-hmm. uh, has probably not helped matters. Um, I'm fascinated to see what they do with it. As we were yeah. Keaton, of course, in the Batgirl film. But now it's mm-hmm. been been, um, been been burned. Uh, so unreleasable. So. Unreleased. It's been written off. But we're never seeing mm-hmm. that apparently. So yeah, um, I'm very curious to see this. It could I either way, couldn't it? I yeah, I think it's wonderful because Ezra Miller as the Flash in um, Justice League. He was one of the highlights because he brought that brevity and that joy to it. So it'll be. I'm I'm interested to see him come back to do that. Um, it's the the hot. This is, seems to be essentially Flashpoint, which is a legendary graphic novel nexus point for DC Comics, and it is a fantastic storyline. And if they are able to pull it off, it'll be great, and it will be a really good way to launch into all the new stuff. But it has so much fucking work to do, and. You know, it's we're getting a little bit of Bruce um, Ben Affleck coming back as um, Bruce Wayne Batman. Um, it looks like we've got slightly different casting because um, what's his name? Um, the guy who played Doctor Manhattan in Watchmen. Oh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Oh, no, 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 no. Right that up. was comedian. Yeah, uh, right right yeah. exactly. He was original. He was um, the Flash's dad in the the justice league and it looks like they've now got uh ron livingston um i think i saw him in that role potentially so they they're bringing in a lot of different things here it's a lot to do but like like with you the trailer got me excited it looks good it looks strong it's going to be i'm excited to see a version of um kara coming on to the big screen and i think it's nice that they're kind of going all right you know what 
we're gonna let superman sit for a little bit we're gonna go come back to the fucking cool sequence of the planet builder thing and just destroying metropolis and see how that all plays out in this alternate timeline but we'll find out <laughs> well michael shannon's a good thing but um yeah exactly i yeah i'm not being i've been fooled before by you uh dc yes, you will not get me you'll get my money anyway let's face it so uh, whatever let's, yeah let's be honest um, now we've talked enough we've talked 12 minutes uh, on the on the trailer let's get on to the crux of the show the thing that everyone signs in for that is hashtag chain movie and this week i chose best in show and what a treat this was um have you seen this before i saw it a long time ago when i was in acting school so you're looking maybe 18 years i don't know i don't know how long ago 23 years ago this film came out yeah that's crazy i think i saw this at the cinema because yeah. i was a big fan of this is spinal tap um and uh i think there was one it was i don't know if i saw uh waiting for guffman which i think is the previous mockumentary by yeah this, uh, I think so. a group of people but um uh i was super excited i think i got amazing reviews at the time and this is how comedy is done for yes me. um this is so up my alley when it comes to comedy it's not funny i should note straight up that this is bone fucking dry comedy mm -hmm. this is incredibly droll dry sarcastic humor which is weird because you do not get americans do not have a reputation for doing that well no. um but here they prove they can there are some um people that there are some actors who are capable of it and this crew of people kind of went on to make a series of these if you if there's this one there was um uh for your consideration the oscars yep. one and of course a mighty wind of course, mm -hmm. the one I mentioned earlier, Waiting for Guffman was made a couple of years before this, and you know, twenty odd years before this, there was uh, this is Spinal Tap, all with a similar sort of crew of people. And yeah. what I find so impressive about this, and I wonder if this is what you were looking at in class when you looked at it in acting school, was that mm. most of it's improv. Mm. They were given a one or two page outline of what's going yeah. on, and then they just go in and do the scene. I don't know how many takes they get, um, yeah. but. The fact that so much of this is fairly loosely improvised mm. and it flows quite well as a story and it's incredibly funny uh, yeah. is is pays great homage to what wonderful actors they are to me um especially the opening of this where it is kind of we're, we're following a few different groups or individuals of people who are going in for the show it felt that especially the opening it felt a little bit like a really bastardized version of the opening and the end sequence of when harry met sally and the couples just talking mm. and uh the ones where they um kind of let them just kind of play a little bit more it was it was that and like the opening of this one just the couple talking and then you just see the dog and this overly pampered stupid dog and they're talking about sort of like the sexual positions that they were in and they walked in and we were so embarrassed and clearly this, it's affected them blah, dog blah, was blah. traumatized he saw us having sex and, <laughs> um it, uh, i it's beautifully written because each of his characters is inhabited wonderfully by the actors we have the neurotic yeah. uh couple there uh Played by Parker Posey, and I forget mm -hmm. the actor who plays the, her husband. Um, right Michael Hitchcock. Michael Hitchcock. Um, 
And then we have the the uh, idle rich couple, so to speak, mm. really. Or the and the by Curies or Gay Curies, mm-hmm. uh, played by Jennifer Coolidge and uh, mm-hmm. Jane Lynch, and of course, uh, uh, Jennifer Coolidge is married to this uh, very rich, very elderly man, almost mm-hmm. a nod and a wink at the old Anna Nicole Smith story, which was mm-hmm. famous at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we've got the, the redneck and his bloodhound. Um, it's uh, uh, then we've got the the, uh, the incredibly middle class um, mm-hmm. and repressed couple played. Um, by uh, was it Eugene, Eugene Levy, Levy and uh, Catherine O'Hara uh, with their dog. And they are all very different groups of people. But mm. you kind of feel like, I mean, people, she sometimes say to me, is this real? Are they real? And if they don't recognize the actors yeah, you know, in the roles, they go, if it's real, because these are the kind of people I reckon you could run into at a, something like this. And I think it's yeah. what these guys do so well is they almost pick like a, a, a really sort of, uh, subgenre or a particularly specific interest group that people have, yeah, and then they sort of go under the covers and sort of explore some of the characters you might find, yeah. Uh, like, I don't know if you've ever been part of a scene, so to speak, like a uh, wherever you know, I am is the scene, Travis. Well, you are in the dungeon master to the stars, so <laughs> um, you know, I don't think it's a bigger scene than DD at the moment. It's the rising star, my friend, it's the rising star. But people who have a really specific interest in this thing, like you know, bicycles or old mm. cars or whatever, and there's a there's a sort of sort of community grows up around that interest group. Yeah, you always find some characters in that world. People who are just a little bit too obsessed with whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, and and it's, it doesn't even take into account the purposely absurd elements, like Eugene Levy, um, his character uh, Jerry Fleck. He's literally got two left feet, <laughs> and so like the the false teeth, teeth that he has, and his those iconic eyebrows of Eugene Levy, um, it's it's just beautiful, and he's so sweet and honest and forthright. And then he's just got, it's, I've got two, literally got two left feet. It's it's dumb. And then there's, um, I think it was actually Christopher Judge who plays the. Um, uh, yes, yeah, Christopher Guest. Sorry, yes, not Christopher Judge. That's uh, Kratos from God of War. Come here, boy. That would be actually an amazing crossover. <laughs> boy, a, a, a mockumentary set in the God of War. So, Kratos, you're taking your son out today. How are you feeling about this? You know, um, I, I think they could do a whole run of that sort of thing Kratos and Atreus, and then Joel and Ellie. And so, like, so Joel, what's it like when every time you go into an area that's flooded, Ellie says that she can't swim? <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. Uh, I don't think ever people who own those properties are going to let us, but anyway, <laughs> uh, be what makes us famous. You're going to say, More Christopher Guest, what were you going to mention about Christopher? Uh, his his character of just uh, Harlan Pepper is being like the the typical quite stereotypical redneck, and he's like just in the in the gun and fishing tackle shop to begin with, and then he's just every single thing is about the bloodhound, and it's like I I have met people who are that single bloody minded about stuff uh, in retail, and it's just like yeah, see the thing about Pokemon, blah 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 blah, blah. and you can't help but go. Oh, you're a real person. Okay. And it's just funny seeing seeing that so expertly brought to life 
and at the same time surgically destroyed. You make a fine point. I think I went on a I went out with someone once who was a an architect or something like that on a date, and mm. all they could talk about was buildings. <laughs> you know, and you're yeah. like, I thought, you know, okay, architecture. It's an interesting. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know anything about it, but yeah, you know, half an hour in, you learn. Mm-hmm. Oh, that building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, I've got to go. I, I, I love the the Catherine O'Hara's character in this, in the sense that I wonder if this was in the outline or it's just something that they worked out together. That she, every single man they met in their travels, she'd had a sexual encounter with in the past, and they were hitting on her in front of her husband, and just seeing Eugene Levy's character just sort of like getting really frustrated <laughs> but not being able to do anything about it um it was just beautiful i, I love that so dynamic. well done um and it, it was just like every single thing it's like yeah i haven't been able to go into this location ever since without thinking about you it's like oh boy <laughs> <laughs> well, even the final scene like um i'm speaking of spoilers for a 24 year old film when uh, when uh, the Flex go into the recording studio to record their dog theme songs, which are brilliantly awful, um, yeah. uh, even the recording engineer says, "Hey, don't I know you from somewhere?" Kind of thing, and it, it <laughs> never escapes him. That's it's beautiful. I like I like the opening interview. I got it, got the, got it right here. So like, uh, she had dozens of boyfriends, hundreds, hundreds. Mm, yeah, hundreds. It's like, well, I didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> but I did. Didn't have quite the reputation myself. I was known as, you know, some to be quite the Casanova. It's like, <laughs> it's um, he's and he's the, the cast. He's Eugene Levy. He's just uh, people probably. I think even around the time, probably mainly knew him as the dad from American Pie. Yeah, uh, like that's really underselling the the work he does in this film. He's. The comedy is incredible here, like uh, not just the, t- the comic timing, but the physicality of his role being someone with two left feet. Um, the scene where he has to actually take the dog through, you know, the obstacle course and stuff and, and the tension yeah. there is, is beautiful. And I, and I don't want to forget Catherine O'Hara. Like, I don't know how the fuck she did that, but after she broke her knee walking off, <laughs> doing a, it's just, it's like if you wanted to sit down and talk about a masterclass in comedy, these yes. are the people, so, you know, you think film comedy superstars mm. in the year 2000, yep. Robin Williams is still with us, uh, yep. Adam Sandler, Jim Carrey, yep. Yep. you know, those are the three big ones I can think of just off the top of my head or maybe mm-hmm. Jack Black to a lesser extent, you know, mm-hmm. um, you wouldn't include Jennifer Coolidge, Eugene Levy, Fred Willard, Catherine O'Hara, no, you know, uh, Christopher Guest, Michael McKean, you know, these probably wouldn't have been the names that came up. But uh, I guess maybe I'm a bit biased because this is the brand of humor I enjoy so much. But mm. I think what they're doing is incredible. 100%. It's, it's genuinely uh, like we've, we've talked and complained ad nauseum at this point with a lot of the chain movies where they've tried to deal with comedy and it's been very, very hit or miss. These guys, they... Yeah, they've definitely got a kind of genre of um, of uh, comedy telling that they have, but it lies in such genius of improvisation that you can't help but look at it and just go, yeah, they're essentially doing the same thing 
again, that kind of mockumentary thing, but they're borderline unrecognizable. And if the, the, the story is entirely different and the way that they're approaching their characters is entirely different. Um, Michael McKean, he is uh, Stefan Vanderhoeft. And again, he's unrecognizable to like, but when you look at his face, you kind of go, oh yeah, I know that guy from tons of things. He's been in fucking everything from Smallville to whatever you like. But he's, they, they always successfully disappear into the character and bring out this new, not even absurdist life of that character because it's not really absurd. It's just an extremely narrow subsection of an extremely narrow subsection that is funny. It's I, I feel like they really get Americans. I, I don't know if this would mm. work quite as well in another country for me personally. Um, uh, I know, I guess, that Spinal Tap is supposed to be British, but they are all they are British, yes. Um, Spinal Tap is one of the best British rock bands ever. Thank you very much. That aren't actually British. Um, <laughs> I don't, is Christopher Guest actually British? I don't know. Um, I, I think he know. might actually be British, right? I'm going to look into it. He's born uh, in New US born. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I think he has British heritage at least, so I'd be saying mm. more immediate British heritage than than, than most. But there's sort of like I always get the impression, and I think of this, and I think of um, a mighty wind as well as uh, mm. one I, I I very much enjoy. I'm sorry, people, we're not doing two of these in a row. That would be self indulgent, but it would have been <laughs> super easy to go to um, something like a mighty wind. Um, just sort of that culture of uh-huh. Americans being joiners. You know, they're really yeah. part of a community of some kind or other. It's not necessarily a criticism. It's just a quirk. Mm. Um, and I just sort of think of them being very proudly, loud and proud about whatever it is, that thing they're into. If you're into mm. dogs or cars or Elvis or whatever, there's no disguising it. There's no, well, like, you know, the people I work with could be into fucking anything and then they probably are. But, you know, I wouldn't know it because, you know, they're not the kind of, we aren't the kind of people in Australia necessarily who advertise it unless we go into EB and pull the shit out of George about Pokemon. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Alas. Um, we bit did, we bit saw him passing by and selling his video games. Um, I, uh, I, I sort of really enjoyed that about these films that they sort of really capture that essence of being an American who's like very proud of the thing they're into. Like, I remember I saw, a, a documentary at Melbourne Film Festival once about people who did LARPing. Yeah. I feel like it was called Darkon or something like that. But they were all, they took it incredibly seriously. I remember a customer, one of my first customers when I was working for EB Games, he came in and he um, was just talking. And I, I started talking a little bit. I said, oh, I love tabletop RPGs. I'm, I'm a D&D uh, D&D nerd. And he's went, oh, really? I was like, oh, not a fan? He's like, no. Lopping's where it's at. It's like, damn. Okay, so this guy is just just dissing me for liking the more normalized of the two. I guess it was an interesting scenario. Lopping involves far too much exercise for me uh, as a nerd. Um, I kind of want to experience it just because you know it's like the Knights of Bad Astem is not a great movie. But it's funny, and the the whole ev- ev- the ev- event around the ridiculousness of the plot of that movie is actually kind of, you know what, I could get possibly into that. 
you should see if you can find it. Film. It film is called Darkon. D a k r k o n, and it is a documentary about people who are very, very serious about their laughing. Um, <laughs> and it's the pressure that they sit down. They're so happy to talk about what they're into, their thing, and. There's no shame about, oh, I'm into this really obscure, lame thing. But the Americans are just really proud of it. And I love the way that, I don't know if it's actually, I'm sorry, I should note, I don't know if there's a name for this group of people. There's the Christopher Guest, Michael McKean crew uh, of people there, and they, they're regular players. Um, they just seem to get it. That's how people yeah. are, especially people. And people like Jane Lynch really gets it, I think. So mm. I find it interesting that there are so many people in this who've gone on to who are probably really kind of, nobody in 2000 including uh jennifer coolidge will sasso um uh two of the main ones there uh fred willard who probably wasn't as famous as he became later right. on um and these people and jane link sorry this is me just dropped out of my head there who went mm. on to become quite a big star in, in the not too distant future after this mm. um and these guys just seem to have an eye for talent mm. It doesn't look like they have got like a, uh, even a loose colloquial name for the group that they are. But um, no, they've, uh, yeah, no, nothing. No. Either way, call them the yeah. Spinal Tap crew, whatever you want to call them. But um, I, I love that this is 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, it's beautiful. Cool. They make us laugh. They get yep. out. There's no yep. there's bullshit. Like, you need to, there's, there's no, need to really tack on a heartfelt story there's no protagonist no not there's really no antagonist it's just a story and, and i would like to make a specific call out for people who um liked uh, the movie dodgeball and particularly the commentary um in that um the commentary by Fred Willard and Jim Piddock in this for the show is fantastic. And I wanted to share a little bit of trivia here. Fred Willard, um, who played the character Buck Lonlan, uh, was specifically instructed by Christopher Guest not to do any research on dogs. Jim Piddock, on the other hand, had to do a lot of dog research so that his character would appear knowledgeable. As a result, Guest said that viewers were surprised to learn Piddock is not a real dog ju show judge. And just that separating of the two people of you know everything and you know nothing and you're the one who knows nothing you're going to do all the talking it's fantastic it's so good uh, i had the same reaction it reminded me of um pepper uh which was jason bateman's character in in dodgeball yeah and garrett cole and those two guys had incredible chemistry so but good i think Fred willard might have a line of a film where the the neurotic dog uh, that saw his owners having sex we met at the start uh does not behave itself during the judging process it's section of a, of, a, of a competition and jumps up on the uh the dog judge um and uh fred willis goes well he went he went after her like she was made of meat um <laughs> just, <laughs> that's the just a great line it's um, wonderful and uh, gonna be so good in this what a loss fred willard is um, Here we go. Here's one of the lines um, in relation to Cookie Fleck. Okay, I've banged a lot of waitresses in my day, but you, you, you were the best. You don't forget the best. <laughs> it's so awkward, but uh, I, I, I want to call out to my co-host for picking an excellent film this week. I enjoyed it immensely. 
Uh, it's as I said, bone dry. If you really mm-hmm. prefer, look honestly, if you think Happy Gilmore is a great film, and you loved Little Nicky and Jack and mm-hmm. Jill is an underrated masterpiece, you're not going to enjoy this film. Um, no, that's fine. You can enjoy whatever you want in terms of comedy. I mean, uh, Dave Chappelle has been here in Melbourne over the last week. Um, the uh, little controversial, great. If you famous stand-up comedian, I don't know if I call him great. Um, I, I, whereas you know, I mean, I have debates, regular conversations with people this week about whether or not he's worthy of all the fuss that he gets mm. about his work these days. Um, still sells out, you know, massive yeah. arenas. So my opinion is irrelevant. Um, but this film is just the kind of comedy I enjoy. So. Mm. Uh, I I was glad to go back and revisit a classic, and I actually ended up finding copies of all the other films that they've made. It, uh, it does make you just want to go back and and see all the other ones, honestly. So that's been the process for me. It's been like, oh fuck, I forgot how good this was. But the keys are yours, sir. Where are you taking this kingdom? We're going to find follow the uh, lady on a hot streak at the moment. That is Jennifer Coolidge. Okay. Uh, no, okay. I, I did. I did threaten the other week to take George to see Shotgun Wedding. Available now on Amazon. Um, I'm not going. We are not that. sponsored by Amazon yet. I'm not watching Jeff? Shotgun Wedding. Jeff, come on, mate. Uh, I we I watch a part of it, and you know what? I have seen a lot worse films than that. Uh, but we are not going to do that. Okay. What are we going? To- we are going to go to the 2020 film it's called a comedy drama uh mystery promising young yeah. oh now you've watched this previously I did. it was a few years ago um mm. and i think it warrants a second viewing from me i don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever seen it not uh, yet so I this is a good opportunity everyone should see this film it's a fantastic piece of work it won an academy award for its uh first life director and writer emerald fennell Starring, of course, Carrie Mulligan. You'll have a number of exits there. Carrie Mulligan, Alison Brie, Bo Burnham, Clancy Brown. Are uh, we going to watch Highlander? Um, no spoilers. <laughs> uh, Adam Brody's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, Laverne Cox. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Christopher Vince Plass, a.k.a. McLovin. Um, mm-hmm. So, anyway, uh, that is your decision to make about where to go next. But um, yeah. the film is available to rent. All the regular places you rent films these days, Apple, Amazon, Google, YouTube. Fantastic. All right. Should we move on to the next of our three major topics? Certainly. You want to talk about Mr. Senor Spielbergo? Senor Spielbergo. Oh, he's non-union Mexican equivalent. (laughs) Uh, The new film from Steven Spielberg, which he uh, has won, uh, won a Golden Globe for it, nominated for seven oscars the fablemans growing up in post-world war ii era arizona young sammy fableman aspires to become a filmmaker as he reaches adolescence but soon discovers a shattering family secret and explores how the power of films can help him see the truth as i said written and directed by steven spielberg mm-hmm. also tony kushner starring michelle mm-hmm. williams judd hirsch paul dano seth rogan Mm-hmm. Uh, this young uh, Sammy is played by Gabriel LaBelle, who I am not familiar with his previous work. No, I don't know him either. Uh, I saw this a couple of weeks ago. What did you make of it? Um, 
it's a lovely story. So like very well um, told, but I felt very detached from it because uh, because the the relationship of the parents and the particularly the um, the the three Paul Dano, um, Seth Rogen, and uh, Michelle, Williams. Michelle Williams that was incredibly fascinating, and especially given the era that this was set, the the like. Do they? Does he know? Does she know? Do they know? What? What's? What's really? What's the? What's the real story behind here? That was fascinating for me, but you never got to see it because we're following um, Sammy, who very much is emotionless, and it's only on occasional moments where he start uh, reveals a little bit of emotion that you start going, okay, are we going to get something? And then it just ends so i found it very the point of view of the story is very frustrating because anytime that something serious was going on you kind of got the feeling that he was just observing and so as the audience with sammy being our protagonist we were observing an observer and to me it felt like kind of being in the living room and watching some watching the someone else while they watch someone else play a video game or something you're getting third-hand experience Bubble box in other words yeah and i i found that that was very detrimental to the story the more interesting of the stories because we never got an opportunity to really see sammy utilizing the film to work things through for himself or anything because he was very single bloody minded about the movies and there's nothing wrong with that that's his not necessarily a coping mechanism but his the way that he makes sense of the world and they didn't go into that mentality enough and they kept on going back to this family so i felt very disjointed the performances of the main three adults were great judd hirsch was really cool if a little bit bizarre he was only in it for like five, ten minutes, wasn't he? But I thought his role was he was one of a few bright spots. My interest really peaked when he was on screen. Yeah. Um, and he's been subsequently been nominated for a Best Supporting Actor Award, which he almost certainly won't win. Yeah. But it was I felt I feel still feel very conflicted about this because it is very beautifully shot. And it is, as a lot of people have said, it is very much a love letter to the golden age of Hollywood. And I found myself finding it really hard to not separate the similarities of, there was a lot of talk around it being semi-autobiographical for Steven Spielberg and it's like, yeah. okay, that, that, that doesn't do this a, a, a service. I feel like if this had been directed by someone else, maybe we would have i maybe i would have felt more engaged with the protagonist uh i i'm, I'm kind of fair with you on a, on a similar yeah. sort of thing it's very much a bi biographical film for spielberg mm. the quote here in the trivia seth rogan told reporters that steven spielberg often became emotional on set during production it was a very emotional experience he was crying a lot on set it's very directly based in his life and pretty much everything that happens in the movie is something that happened to him as we were shooting, I'd be like, did this happen in real life? And the answer was yes, 100% of the time. Wow. Um, 
So I don't think there's any doubt in the world that this is his story. And, and I, it's interesting that you talk about being detached from the characters and detached from the story a little bit. Isn't it interesting that, for at least according to Seth Rogen there, that 100% of the shit that happens in that film happened in real life? Mm. So why invent the Fablements? Mm. Why isn't this called My Life by Steven Spielberg or something like that? Yeah. Why is Sammy named Steve, Sammy, not Stevie? You know, mm. like, why even why invent the, the filter of yeah. fictional characters to tell your story through? Is that maybe why we feel a little detached? I found myself in the end in a very similar way to you going, this is a beautifully made film. Mm. Every technical element is oh, perfect. So like, I mean, this mm. is a master craftsman making this film. So even Steven Spielberg, when he's making a film I don't enjoy all that much, or mm. I didn't hate it, but, you know, he's not making his best work, in my opinion. No, um, he he's, still, he's still making something that's incredibly impressive just from a technical and mm. perspective, and it keeps you reasonably engaged. Um, yeah. But, you know, uh, aside from that technical, going, it looks great, it's beautiful, you know, there's money being spent on this, going... I don't know about this story. I mean, eh, this kid's not very yeah. interesting. You know, his new story is not very interesting. And like, you know, I read the pretty um, synopsis. They said, uh, shattering family secret, you know, like maybe his dad was a secret Nazi or something. I don't know. Like the fact that his dad is the, sh the shattering family secret was, as you suggested before, mm. was that there was a love triangle. And yeah. his mum was in love with his dad's best friend. And, I mean, I don't know. Is it a shattering family singing? It feels like something that happens a lot. And especially considering the way that it is presented to us, I feel like the father kind of knew. He was just in denial. So, like, you know what? It makes her happy. My life is happy the way, you know, with Seth Rogen being a third member of this family. That's, you know, I, I'm okay with that. And slowly getting less comfortable with that for both of them. It's like, okay. I feel like everyone, every party knew what was really going on in those feelings. Except the kids, I guess. The kids probably yeah. didn't have the, 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 the nuance to pick up what was going on. My mum and dad aren't getting along. And, yeah. Um, and some of it was very strange. Like the, the scene where they go camping and he's – they film his mother, Michelle Williams, playing Mitzi, dancing mm. in front of the, you know, car headlights and that, you know, her dress becomes see-through and the mm. daughter is the only one who's concerned about this and everybody else is like, yeah, no worries, whatevs, right? Like, it's, yeah. Dad uh, and Sissy, that uh, Sammy edited nicely into a little film for them and it's all, that was, I found that sequence very strange. Yeah. It was it was just genuinely unusual, and that that particular sequence, I kind of because she wakes up and then goes back out and does this dance routine, and it's like okay, I really don't understand how they got together in the first place, and I kind of feel like that is maybe an important part of the story to explain maybe how feelings have changed. Or expressly go for, further forwards and just go, no, in spite of them professing to the, um, to the alternative, 
everyone knew what this relationship was. This was a a polyamorous relationship and just without the label and without people expressly kind of noting it or identifying it as that. And it's like, you know what? That would have been cool because I'm sure that there were and have been and maybe very well still are families that have that kind of fear of actually coming out and saying, yeah, this is this is just the relationship we have. We love each other very much, but um, my partner has sexual relations with this person who happens to be my friend. If that's what works for you, that's what works for you. It's fine. But in the 50s, it would have been a very different story. It would not have been uh, Mm. something you would have come up with. That obviously was not the dynamic in this family. Um, No, I don't don't think think. so. Um, Performances, I think everybody's solid in this. Michelle Williams has a lot to work with. The character is, I'm sorry to say, I didn't find it very likable as a character in the sense that um, upping and leaving, I guess, and, and maybe this is Spielberg doing this deliberately, but, up, but the idea of a mother leaving her family mm. to the state, it's an odd choice. Not Again, that would have been a very controversial choice in the 50s, and maybe mm. that's the shocking family secret. But I guess by that point in time, it's not really a family secret anymore, is it? Um, yeah uh but she has a lot to play with there and, and i mean i think she does the best she can like you find this a very subdued film like it's not yeah very much happening it's sort of a cross between a family drama and happy days you know yeah, like, kind you of. maybe it kind of strikes the kind of film that ron howard might have made and i'm not a fan of ron howard but you know, that, that kind of fits a little bit better. And you're I think you're right. The the characters are somewhat kind of cookie cutter. Um, the mum, the free spirited one, just edges on that side of mania. Um, and it's you I was I I wouldn't have been surprised if they had just at some point like it cuts to one year later, he gets a letter and all of that stuff the way that it happened. But then there's another letter from his mom that just says, I've been diagnosed with a brain tumor or something. And that's one of the reasons why she's been, she was acting so strange or, you know, it was just on that edge of becoming soap opery. And the dad being very emotionless and stoic and, being so dedicated to work it's like yeah there are definitely people like that but i feel like the character was somewhat underwritten because we weren't shown enough of his love or empathy for his family which if you're saying that this is a earth-shattering secret of the family so like we'll focus on the damn family tell us about the family and how let us invest in the family so that when the secret is revealed we are ripped apart my god how could they do this to each other the sisters are really underdeveloped. Like they, they sort of slide in and out of Sammy's life. Yeah. As, as required. In that moment we sort yeah. of said earlier, we have a dancing scene where one of them tried to cover up her mum and stop her from, you know, basically exposing herself to people. Um, yeah. But then they slide in and out later on. But we never really spend any time with them or get used to them. And yeah. that's kind of a shame because um, one of them is played by Julia Butters. Who's a bit mm-hmm. of a wait, bit wasted here. Of course, she played um, Trudy Fraser in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. If you're uh, in the scene with um, Leo DiCaprio shooting the Western, she's a fantastic young actor. Okay. Um, mm. But I don't think they're given a lot of screen time. We spend so much time with Sammy, and as you said, 
we don't get to know if the sisters really at all. They're almost just sort of there to make stuff happen or to bounce things off Sammy, you know, and mm. maybe we should have spent some more time with them. Maybe yeah. it should have been more about the family. It's less about Sammy's filmmaking bizzo, you know. It, it yeah. almost feels superfluous to the story. Mm. The part Much says, like... Sorry, the part no, where it says, oh, he uses filmmaking to, uh, to come to understand what's happened to him and his family. I just didn't get that. No, I didn't either. Because, um, I mean, apart from the the bit where he's directing the actor in the war movie to like that one little moment that was the only part where you kind of go okay he's working something out here but you don't actually see it in the film the film itself is incidental it's just him him just actually using that as a as a funnel but we you don't really see it much and the the other superfluous thing was the relationship with the girl at college mm. it was like okay this is quintessential spielberg doing young people in awkward teenage romancy scenario with comedy so i'm like yeah that's what spielberg can do he's done it repeatedly but i still don't actually feel like i'm learning anything about the character of sammy here I don't know. I, mm, it's an odd film for me. Um, he really felt it, like he said, the love letter to cinema, a love letter mm -hmm. to his childhood, the world he grew up in, um, mm -hmm. the 50s, the 60s, you know, the, the scene with him and John Ford, I enjoyed very much. John Ford mm -hmm. played by David Lynch, beautifully. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was really nice. Mm -hmm. I, just, I felt like it didn't really know what it wanted to be. Did it want to be an ode to the film and the filmmaker? Did it want to be a family drama? It kind of yeah. sort of smooshed the, the two together and looked yeah. cool. you know, that you can see it's got an, a meta score of 84 here on IMDb. People are calling it a Spielberg masterpiece. This is this is a crowd pleaser. I don't think anywhere near Spielberg at his best in any way, shape, or form. Um I don't think that this type of story is best served as a blockbuster crowd pleaser um, because it doesn't go deep enough or on the flip side, it doesn't go lighthearted enough to, it, it just sits in this mediocrity of just wafting through and you never really get this sense of, okay, we're heading to, to a climax point here. And it just left me unsatisfied. Nothing, it's not, there's not a single thing in this that is bad. It's just messy. It just didn't congeal into a, yeah. it's, it's not great. It's less than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Good performances, beautiful yep. technical film brilliantly shot great, great soundtrack budget well executed you know story elements are fine well written but none of that all congeals into a thing you actually you know it's yeah like if i saw if i made you a, a cheeseburger with an amazing chocolate mousse on it you love chocolate mousse is great the burger's great but do you really want to eat the two together don't answer that question <laughs> <laughs> um 
<laughs> just a note, this film is uh, an $11 at the moment to win Best Picture, but Steven Spielberg is $2.37 to win Best Director, uh, just behind V. Daniels. Mm. Um, we've seen a number of films now up for mm. these awards, uh, and, and yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think anything in this film compares to what the Daniels did with everything, everywhere, all at once. I would put this film well behind Tar. For, for that matter as well, which I thought... I was agree. Great. I agree. While I found Tar very difficult to watch, and I, I ultimately said that I couldn't... I don't think I could recommend it because of its kind of single-bloody-mindedness, it's still... It's everything that you see on screen and more. Um, whereas this is the diametric opposite of that which is a shame it's it's to the detriment of everyone who works on this that it just for some reason and it felt really long like how long is this movie uh, it's about two hours right i think yeah i think so i think like just over two hours maybe um and it i felt that it did kind of drag a little bit i think we had to take a break halfway through and um and and do something else and get to eat or something uh because i struggle with it is two hours we are wrong that never happens this is two and a half hours yeah that's too categorically too long anyway yeah. that's that's the favorite ones for you it's okay don't get yeah. your hopes up too high if you really like spielberg mm -hmm. maybe you'll i think that this is this is uh wait for it to arrive on streaming services because you've already paid for those personally i would agree with that entirely um Shall we keep rolling? Uh, yeah, let's roll on to levity and we want to knock at the cabin. I yes. went to the fucking movies the other week. That doesn't happen very often. So did I. This is the first <laughs> non Marvel film I've seen at the cinema for quite some time. Um, and we went to the, the beautiful Sun Theatre in Yarraville lovely uh, if you haven't if you live in melbourne or anywhere ever in melbourne and you're a cinephile do check it out it's it's a treasure we've managed to save uh this is the new film from m night Shyamalan, of course uh yes. while vacationing a girl and the parents are taken hostage by armed strangers who demand that the family make a choice to avert the apocalypse written by m night Shyamalan and michael sherman uh and based off a novel i think the, I think the novel was by yeah. Not Troll um, Tremblay called yes, Cabin, Cabin at, at the End of the world. world. Which would have been a significantly better title for this film. Because Not yeah. at the Cabin is a fucking terrible title for this film. Yep. 100%. Stars Dave Batista, mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan Groff, who keen observers might remember played the Agent Smith character in the fucking horrible yes. Matrix reboot last year and was also played Holden Ford, if the uh, ironically named character in Mindhunter. Um, oh, that's right, yeah. Rupert Grace, <laughs> I believe, was in Harry Potter. Yes, he played Ron Weasley. Uh, and he's got, he seems to have a bit uh, of a, a an association with M. Night Shyamalan because he was also in the TV show Savant um, in that, which I only watched a few episodes of and it was creepy and weird. Uh, that's kind of your, your, your big name cast members there. Pretty uh, much. And then with the other the big the other big performance in it is Kristen Q as when uh, as young, young girl she's quite good in this I'll pay for yes. a young actor who I'm not overly familiar with I don't know how much 
she hasn't done a lot yet in her career. That's probably yeah. why I think she might go somewhere. Um, yeah. If the opportunity. Um, Shamalot, of course. We all know who that is. Smashed it out of a park with his uh, debut. Six Sense. He was the next Hitchcock, the next Spielberg. People said he mm -hmm. had signs come after that, which also did very, very well. And then he took a mm -hmm. giant dump on it with thing was like Lady in the Water happening uh, uh, after Earth. Was Avatar. he in an Avatar film? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, has he? He sort of had a career resurgence of sorts with the visit, which we talked about years ago. The glass. Yeah. Uh, some glass. people like old. I did not. Yeah. Um, what did you make of this one? I liked it. I genuinely liked it. I like the fact that for the suitable amount of the movie, for two thirds, maybe a little bit more than that, you are still left questioning is this, are, are they telling, is this real or is this psychological bullshit? It, I, and it kept you genuinely guessing. And the performances of the main four horsemen of the apocalypse, should we call them? Um, were compelling in their own way. They were um, desperate and tortured because of these visions that they'd seen. And it genuinely kind of made me kind of question, so like, ah, oh, I wonder how I would react if I was given unequivocal proof that unless this fucking happens, the world is goddamn ending. It's it's a really brilliantly simple premise for a story, and they deliver it really well. But the absolute standout for this is Dave Batista. He was fantastic. He's huge. He's big. He looks uncomfortable in a suit and pants. But he is so fucking good when he plays subdued. Like the opening sequence of uh, Blade Runner. He's wonderful in that. Absolutely wonderful. He, You look at him, and yeah, he can do a big fucking brute. He's Mr. Mister Hinks or Mr. Jinx or whatever his name was in the Bond movies. It's like, yeah, he can beat the shit out of Daniel Craig. But every time he plays against type, he really brings it. He's fucking awesome, and he just delivers this Leonard character that is so honest and truthful in everything that he does he doesn't want to do any of this bad stuff you feel that from him he just there is no other option for him it's like okay i have to push as far as i can but this is your choice okay bye-bye then and decisions get made because the decision is kind of already made in his head it's wonderful I what think about you? there are two good things in this film. Uh, Dave Bautista, I 100% agree with you, is sensational in this. This film doesn't work without his performance in mm. that the film revolves around the fact that, as you said, he is a fucking man mountain. Mm -hmm. And you just look at the poster of him standing in the other three. Yeah. Got, you know, <laughs> head and shoulders above all of them. And he's yeah. a monster. But he plays quiet. You know, mm -hmm. kind at times, yeah. which is works on a couple of levels. On the one hand, that looks completely against type in the sense he doesn't look like the kind of guy 
you just be kind of guy. He walked down the road towards you. He kind of tempted the cross. Like this guy going <laughs> to beat the shit out of you. Like be that much at yeah. breaking a sweat. Like uh, so, it really goes against what he looks like. His appearance says the opposite to his actual character. And then you add the layer on top of what he's there to do, being mm. such a brutal and horrible um, duty. But he yeah. says he has to. Um, he says he has to execute. Um, those, those three layers really well together, and that's nicely done by the writers. Um, I don't know if that was something that came from the book or from, from Shyamalan. And Batista is on an absolute tear in his career at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. I think he's, as professional wrestlers go, <laughs> as actors, there are three good ones, all right? There's a rock, there's John Cena, there's him. Mm -hmm. Cena is in Melbourne at the moment, believe it or not, shooting a Farrah. Um, it's been, it's called Ricky that's a title who's going to be good. Um, uh, <laughs> and, and John Cena is very good at comedy. He's very good. He was great in Peacemaker, which we both very mm. much enjoyed. Um, yes. I think Cena's doing some interesting work. The Rock, mm. just for, for me, he's just been phoning it in for a number of years now. I think when he started, he seemed like a very capable performer. Mm -hmm. uh, taken he knows what works for him now. And he does that, and that's fine. He can pay 20 million bucks to do... The usual rock stick about that. Uh, no worries. I think Batista is the most interesting one because he takes risks. He does stuff that people yeah. do not expect him to do. And this is one of them. Mm -hmm. So that is a huge wrap to Dave Batista. The other good thing about this film is it's one hour and it's long because it's terrible. Um, and so I completely disagree. I thought this was a pile of shit. Like, again, Shyamalan with a very interesting core idea. Fortunately for him this time, he's got a great actor and a great performance in, in Dave Batista. Because I saw the fucking trailer. All the shit's in the trailer. All yeah. in the trailer is just planes fall. I'm, I'm not spoiling. It's in the trailer. There are planes falling out of the sky and exploding around the cabin. In the but trailer. come on, they didn't they didn't put the dogs and cats living together bit in the oh, trailer, though. That and that was just fine. That's hysteria. Um, so I'm like, that... To me, kind of ruins the entire film. I guess if I hadn't seen the trailer, I might have had the same reaction mm. going, maybe this guy's just crazy, um, or are they for real? Um, mm. but because I did see the trailer, because we didn't actually know what film was about, so we watched the trailer first before we bought yeah. tickets. And then there's all this shit happening in the trailer. I mean, like, I don't understand how that can be in the trailer and it still not be real in the sense that these guys say, we've mm. got to do this horrible thing. This inconceivable thing we have to do, um, because if we don't do it, the world's going to end. And as you mm. say, if four people showed up in your house and said that, you're like, you're fucking nuts. But yeah, if you show me a trailer that says this, there are literally planes exploding or falling out of the sky and exploding around them, um, how am I supposed to believe that they are potentially not telling me the truth? I think part of me was able to disassociate from that because based on Shyamalan's love of the twist and the audience's expectation of the twist, I wouldn't put it past them to have gone, yeah, we're going to create a fake fucking trailer. We're going to intercut a whole load of stuff in there, but we're going to put stuff in the trailer that isn't actually in the movie. So it's like, all right, I'm going to, you know, concept's cool. I'm going to, I'm going to just go, go for the ride on this one. I think he's he's not an interesting enough filmmaker anymore to do that. He's not talented enough to actually 
had this whole, I mean, part, the only part, like I say, like, there's 1% of my brain going, what if this is like a simulation or something like that? You know, and I'm like, <laughs> the yeah. secret spin off to the Matrix. Or more like, you know, what it was like a, a social experiment and all the stuff mm. that they were seeing on TV and stuff was fake. You know, mm. um, you know, I was found myself watching this going, you know, I kind of wish this was Cabin in the Woods because that was a fucking great film and so much better than this, so much more original and intelligent. Uh, and they kept it in the woods. Maybe they might have faked something like that. You know what I mean? Like uh, to 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 get their thing, to get their job done. Yeah. But I didn't actually think for a second that was going to be happening because, well, that would be kind of a cop out. And as bad as Shyamalan is, um, I, I just don't think. Yeah, I just didn't see that happening. It didn't. Hmm. It, it, what did you make of the end? For me, the end was pathetic. The end lets it down for me. I think I really just I wish I just wish that I guess I'll put spoilers up because I'll talk about the ending here. We're talking spoilers five, one hour and uh, one hour and five minutes three, into the show. Two, one. No spoilers. Spoilers. So um, when Dave Batista kills himself, just sitting in the armchair and he's at peace, I would have loved it if they had just rolled credits then just left the rest of it to the audience to decide to to really go so like okay we're seeing all this stuff we're not going to give you an answer you i we we are going to make you make a decision which would have been so fucking in sync with what the movie was about of it having to be their choice rather than being forced into it if we force them to be the ones to make that choice that would have been fucking cool and it would have knocked off the worst part of the the worst part of the movie for me as it stands this is a very you know what the film it reminded me of it was a nicholas cage film out here in melbourne um knowing knowing it reminded me a lot of knowing in the sense that that film has a very faithful ending and that basically the uh, christian aliens involved or something um and christian aliens um i don't know <laughs> It was a dark time in cinema for uh for Nick. Um it's you haven't seen knowing, do yourself a favor. Jesus Christ just rocks up in a UFO. Like, yeah. Well, I just... mean maybe the Scientologists were right. Uh, <laughs> you haven't thought about that, you haven't thought about it. I have okay. come back from Xenu. <laughs> I didn't see what mood I was coming back in. Um <laughs> it's uh it, it's reminding me of that in a sense that it's a very Christian film. It's basically insinuating yeah. it's a very faithful film. And the fact that there was no twist. Mm. Uh, and, you know, once upon a time, I would have applauded Shyamalan for going with no twist because, mm. that's, as you said, he's famous for it. But, like, I can't, oh, is that all? Is that I it? I would have liked it, yeah. That's maybe, maybe the twist isn't always a bad thing. It's only a bad thing when you do it every time, even when it doesn't warrant it. In mm. this case, this film needed a twist at the end because the end is like, it's it's yeah. complete, it's like letting all the air out of the balloon and just going, Ooh. you know, yeah. just, and topical considering balloons this week. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it was just so, I was like, oh, oh, that, that's the actual end. Oh, that's disappointing. The two endings that I would have liked, one, end when uh, Leonard dies 
or two, they go, Leonard dies, the movie plays out basically how it did, but it doesn't save the fucking world. It just, the, the end of the world still comes. And then you just go, they made a mistake. They misinterpreted the visions that they were having in their head or anything like that. And maybe it just, it could, it probably would have ended up feeling even more cliched and I would have hated it more, but maybe it's just kind of rolls into the last survivors and we follow um, when, and we just have like cut to one year later and when just has this, shitty monologue about oh you can never truly understand someone else's intentions or meaning something like that uh, it, I just, anything would have been better than what we had cabin in the woods got it right again just that scene if you remember the end of that where the two characters they decide not to kill the person they need to kill to save the world and mm. then they get cut and there's that giant hand comes out of the ground and goes smashes the cabin and <laughs> uh, gave up by uh, gave up by Nine Inch Nails place. Um, they got it right. Um, <laughs> I did not like this film very much at all. I didn't, unlike you, I didn't go for the ride. I just they gave away far too much away in the trailer mm. for me. Because I so that that tension just wasn't there. Look, I mean, I, this is not the worst film Shyamalan's made by any stretch of the imagination. Avatar. Uh, it's back in the middle of a pack for me, though. Like go. You mentioned a lot the Fablemans wait for a streaming service. I would mm -hmm. say the same for Knock at the Cabin. Mm -hmm. Wait for it on streaming. It's you're not missing anything by not seeing it at the movies. Yeah, there's there's nothing about the movie that's um screams out, oh, this is for the big screen, like Jim Cameron fucking saying that about Avatar. It, it, you're not gonna miss it, you're not gonna lose anything. And maybe it might actually feel a bit more intimate and scary just doing it in your house especially if you happen to live up in king lake in the middle of nowhere and someone knocks on your door you put your own cabin in the woods yeah you get your own little cabin in the woods that creep the creep out the the kids or something like that you you know it'll be fine there you go we disagree yeah. on something for a change yeah we disagree and we're still friends that has been the last episode of armchair producers <laughs> You changed, man. It used to be about the music. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's the music it's, changed, and now I don't know what it's about anymore. It'll happen to you. Um, <laughs> uh, shall we go and do binge browse burn? I say yes. We've got a slightly different one for you this week. We got some. Yeah. Uh, so we got a uh, George's got a surprise for you in a minute. Um, I'm going to start with a soft browse. A soft browse, browse. Really? like. I am now three episodes into the new season of You. The Pen Badge. They have televised my life, it's true. You've all seen, someone actually did this. You've seen the video of the person on Fox News who was recommending You, and the Fox News host just couldn't get ahead around the fact that there was a TV show called You. Um, you've got <laughs> Fox News, you, you, it's, it's worth every penny. <laughs> um, they don't hire very smart people for that channel. Um, those who don't know, you stars Penn Badgley uh, as Joe Goldberg. Uh, the who is a bookish bookstore owner in the first series, who has kind of a bad habit of killing his girlfriends. He's done it to three of them now, uh, I think three at least. Um, and in last season, I think the show really jumped the shark. 
okay. I think I checked out after about half, two thirds way through the season. He ended up getting married in season three and having a child with uh, his uh, ex-wife now. Spoilers for season three. <laughs> Love Quinn, <laughs> played by Victoria Pedretti. And it was like, it found it. The first two seasons, I can understand why they did it. They had to do something different mm. in season three. Basically did the same thing in seasons one and two, but that's okay because I enjoyed them. But mm. season three, they tried to do something different. I'm like, good for you, but it didn't work. Season okay. four, he has relocated to England because that's super easy to do. Um, and he's that's been always a, a dangerous thing. When the sequel and, goes to England, you know your movie's in exactly. trouble. Exactly. It's the only worst place you could possibly go is Hawaii. Um, and um, he has become a university lecturer for reasons. Um, it does actually explain how he became a university lecturer. He's hiding in the UK because he's wearing a beard and no one will recognize him. Um, and, and spoilers for season three, it is because um, he, he does, he fakes his own death at the end of season three. Um, so no one's really looking for him. But he inserts, he manages to insert himself into some, uh, into sort of high society with ultra, the ultra, the idle ultra rich. Mm. And stuff starts happening again. He finds a dead body in his apartment with a knife in it. And he doesn't remember killing that person and things continue to happen and they're trying a slightly different tack in this season in the sense of okay he is kind of the the hunter at certain points in the series before uh, now he's kind of the hunted all the way through uh and less about how the hunter about him and almost like he's becoming it's always the hard thing about the series it's like the guy's a fucking murderer but we're cheering for him um mm. and now it's like he's like he murdered some people but you know he's got a beard now um it's <laughs> that okay. is not suggesting anything about my co-host ladies and gentlemen he has not killed anyone right it's okay it's okay it's slightly better than last season but it's nowhere near the heights he got in the first two seasons and the worst thing is he moves to london as a job as a university professor and he lives in a giant fucking apartment like it fucking huge and it's got bookcases and fireplaces and shit and you're like i think that would be very expensive in london if i'm not mistaken yeah, i'm pretty sure university professors in london and england don't get paid enough for the kind of places this sounds like that bothered me anyway so mm. it's a soft browse if you really I have like a question for three. you yes why after the the miss of season three why did you go back to season four it was on um <laughs> so sometimes you you would know this you you spend or live with someone most of the time yeah um you know sometimes you gotta try to find something you can both watch mm -hmm. it can be an exercise in great diplomacy mm -hmm. um when you have different preferences and so yeah michelle and i do have varying preferences on what we enjoy so she was interested in seeing the new season of you i was interested in reading uh, doom scrolling on twitter um and you <laughs> seem like a fine program to doom scroll to and i ended up getting sucked into the story a little bit more than i expected to so it was really it's a compromise show you know we like season one and two let's go back and check out season four if you like okay. it if you like three you're probably still on board of this i think the show's jumped the shark and it needs to end after mm. this but okay keep watching it okay okay um i've got a uh, a a a heavy browse shall we say and you've already mentioned it previously and that's little demons the danny devito 
ne- uh, Disney Devil Daughter Antichrist show. It's good, but not great. It's kind of teetering somewhere between like um like it's i I said last time you uh the way you described it it sounded a little bit like reaper the the kevin smith one from from years ago um with a little bit of rick and morty in its ability to just go to absurdism but it doesn't quite have the the humor behind rick and morty yet it's building it's developing it's kind of kind of kind of getting there it's got a little bit of steven universe to it as well if you've watched any of that there's there's a kind of dry comedy to it and it i get it i like it i kind of watch a couple of episodes and then i bounce out and then i'll i go back it's it's definitely engaging me and danny devito as the devil is cool it's a cool idea and the 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 relationship between the devil the mum, and the daughter is very cool and it is kind of it's it's engaging it's endearing it's also confrontational it's absurd it's it's got good flexibility to it and the voice actors that provide everything do a very good job at it and the animation fits with what they're trying to do with it i just think that it's still early days they're still finding their feet on where that comedy timing is not many shows can just hit it out of the park especially animation where timing is so incredibly important to the animation process anyway even looking back at the first season of futurama it's fantastic but compared to the later seasons they really found their footing from season two onwards so i'll be curious to see how this develops good call uh, i i think it's fair i think it's a fair call i think i might mm-hmm. have put it in the binge category but it was like a soft binge mm-hmm. it's on the border on that one it's the same thing but but it budding up i'm gonna go with the browse rating here and that mm-hmm. is alpha males okay males is available in australia on netflix i don't know if it's a netflix exclusive i feel like maybe it is but um i, I could be wrong this is a spanish series interesting uh, we talked about it a lot there's always interesting new shows from the various uh offshoots of netflix around the world that you end up landing mm. on TV here. interestingly the australian government's just passed a law look content law which will now apply or look we will pass it shortly to apply local content laws to the streaming services here in australia so um netflix and amazon essentially mm. start making australian content um which is cool because uh, this is the kind of thing i quite like Pedro, Luis, Raul, and Santi are four friends who feel a bit lost in a new world of empowered women, each trying to adjust in their own haphazard way. So these guys are fucking fossils uh, who are kind of trying to make their way in a post-Me Too world. Mm. Uh, one of them is a former TV executive who gets fired because he's uh, uh, male-centric, uh, chauvinistic uh, programming ideas no longer make sense. We've got another one of them who is married to a sex therapist who doesn't want to, who wants to have an open relationship and a polyamorous relationship. And he's not, mm-hmm. he's intimidated by that and doesn't want to do it. Another is single and lives with, is a father to a, his daughter, uh, a single father to his daughter, and going through the world of dating. Uh, mm-hmm. And his daughter is using Tinder for him to find dates. Um, and the other set of characters is uh, a man who is still married to his wife but uh is in that 
middle-aged sexual drought where somehow you've been married to the same person for 10 plus years or even more they've got two kids but not okay. only the kids impact on your sex life but also the fact you kind of sort of forget how to relate to each other other than mm. as a parent and as a you know a functional member of your life um yeah and each of these and the four of these characters have beautiful chemistry together when they mm. get together and they hang out and uh, the chauvinism comes out and how it sort of uh, how it sort of bumps up against each other's ideas and what's going on in each other's lives and their mm. various goals and some of it's kind of gross frankly i mean some of it's really gross like uh the three three of the guys uh sort of weighing in on whether the guy who's a single father um is his daughter is probably already having more sex than him uh and you're like i don't know 40 year old guys you know speculating about the sex life of a teenager is not cool but maybe mm. this is spain i don't know i'm not spanish um but you're not i have last time i checked it's been renewed for a second season so there's only one season at the moment okay it's pretty good it's pretty good okay. it okay. starts strong it's kind of it eased off a little bit but um it's a pretty funny show and it's a pretty interesting show about um you know it handles the topic in a in a in a funny and original way because as okay. men, you know we've talked about it at length you know the world we grew up in was the world for us you know everyone on the screen looked like us so mm. you know um it's interesting that these there are different men deal with this in different ways a lot of people mm. i like to think you and i try and go well fucking bring it on all right like this is yeah. you know um but some people really push the other way and resist yeah these are four men who resist in different ways okay and my last one is the slightly unusual one i'm gonna say that um a soft binge for the new big um video game that has come out on next gen slash current gen platforms playstation 5 and xbox series x hogwarts legacies by portkey games and avalanche studios this is the first major kind of world visiting world inspired action adventure rpg beyond the quidditch game that came out back on the playstation 2 as well as a lot of the lego games and some really bad versions on that early ps2 era kind of consoles this is a wholly original story set in late 1800s uh you play a newly enrolled student at hogwarts and you discover an unusual ability to perceive and master ancient magic um becoming the key to an old secret that threatens to tear the wizarding world apart now the story itself and the way that it is being delivered that main quest line shall we say is good it is enjoyable it is engaging the cinematics look good the animation looks really good the voice work is great there's a nice little nods for anyone who's a harry potter fan you've got like the um vice uh the, the assistant headmaster is professor weasley yes one of the weasley family is there and you get to actually go to in your potions class one of the other uh, fifth years is another weasley um you the headmaster at the time is phineas nigelis black who for anyone who doesn't know is the great great grandfather of gary oldman's character sirius black from the harry potter movies so there's not some nice little nods to it but so far at this point i've played about 10 hours i haven't had any reference to dumbledore there's absolutely no reference to harry potter or voldemort or grindelwald 
Um, this is just telling its own unique story at this moment. And I'll tell you, I am a fan of the Hogwarts world, that wizarding world. And it's really lovely to be able to wander around the Hogwarts castle as a student and it's like, oh, there's the room of requirement. That's awesome. I'm going to, oh, I can wander to Hogsmeade Village. Fantastic. Oh, I'm learning how to use a, a broomstick. Wait, you mean I can f now fly anywhere? I've spent about four hours of the game wandering around the Forbidden Forest, attacking and hunting wild creatures, mostly spiders at the moment, and poachers and dark wizards, and I'm loving it. The combat for the wizards is really quite good. It's relatively simple, but as you progress and as you level up, and there are sort of like um, traits that you can invest um, points into as you level up to get mastery of different things, there's more depth and nuance to how you can utilize a spell correctly or how you can sneak up and things like that. You can go full Dark Wizard and you can learn the Unforgivable Curses of Arcadavra, Cruciatus Curse, and um, uh, I can't remember the third one right now. I am relinquishing my Harry Potter badge right now. Um, the game is not really doing anything unique or kind of revitalizing the third person action adventure genre or anything like that but it just does everything it wants to do well the story is good the the voice work is fine the quests there's lots of quests that you can go on it feels a little bit like a mini skyrim where you can just go off and do your own thing if you want to but if you want to just mainline story go ahead and do it it's a very enjoyable game um it's stupid launch window it had three day early access on the um new consoles and then it got released it was released on tuesday then released on friday and then for ps4 and xbox one it comes out in april it came out on steam on the 11th i think so a day after the consoles and then it comes out on switch uh, in july so it's a complete mess of a launch. They should have just cancelled the PS4, P um, Xbox One, Switch versions, honestly. But for what I've played, very enjoyable. I really oh, like it. How do you feel about I have seen a lot of people talking about this. And just quickly, mm. I want to hear mm. your, your take on the politics of this because a lot of people are choosing to boycott this game. Yeah, because of J.K. Rowling, I understand the boycotting of the J.K. Rowling thing, but... Jackie Rowland has had nothing to do with the development of this game, for one thing. It is just based on her world. So anyone who is boycotting this game, kind of not actually really doing anything for the production side of it. Because there are going to be so many people that buy it anyway. It is going to be a success. They've already said they're going to support it for five years. Well, that's their plan. They're going to support Anne for 10 years, remember? <laughs> <laughs> it's still good oh shit yeah i'm i'm playing this game this game's doa <laughs> <laughs> i've killed harry potter oh no i tend to agree in the sense that she's already been paid for this yeah so by you boycotting it you're not taking a cent out of jk's pocket and for no. the record i think she's a piece of shit uh yeah. and i find it bizarre the hill she's chosen to die on about trans yeah. people um you know it's just enjoy your millions of dollars woman um but yeah uh I, I don't yeah boycotting it it's it must be very hard i think to someone who's a fan of this series if you really don't like what she stands for because mm. she's already been paid so yeah, yeah i don't know where you stand it's, it's, i guess it's the personal it's in, choice yeah i think for for me at this point it's like 
the people that worked on this, the people that wrote the story, that developed this game, that created this game, their efforts are worthwhile. If this was, if they had rebranded this as anything else Hogwarts, this would be considered a very good game and there wouldn't be an issue. But obviously everyone wants to tie something to a franchise. We've talked about that ad nauseum. So they're kind of doing that with this, but the world of Harry Potter, the wizarding world that was introduced to us in the Harry Potter books by J.K. Rowling is rich and deep. And there are so many stories that you can tell that have nothing to do with Harry Potter, nothing to do with Grindelwald and Dumbledore and any of the characters that have been forced down our throats for the last 20 odd years, however long Harry Potter has been a thing. I don't know. Um, this is a good game and yes, absolutely boycott her JK Rowling. Do not give her a platform to speak on. She does not have good things to say, but she also did create a wonderful world. And there are some people who might go out there and say, well, the representation of goblins, it's very anti-Semitic as a way. Yeah, kind of, but it's, it's, I feel like that's a bit of a stretch too far for me. I, don't want any anti-Semitism <laughs> in my games or in my life. But I feel like they, because they're basing it on the world, the wizarding world, they have to adhere to the way they look because of what we've, what we've been represented. Cause this very very clearly ties into the world that we've been presented in the books and the movies. So it would have been weird to completely redesign the goblins to not have the kind of elongated nose and bigger ears that are part of that anti-semitic conversation they could have done it and probably they should have but maybe it's because i'm not part of the jewish community i don't really have any close associations with anyone who does identify as jewish just don't have any relation to that that I can go, I'm offended because my offense would be secondhand anyway. And it would just be, oh, I'm being angry because I'm being angry. I don't know. It's a complex scenario. It, it is. It's a difficult one. I mean, I was thinking today, so I'm a big fan of Queens of a Stone Age. Mm. I think you're a big fan of their last record as well. Mm -hmm. Turns out Josh Romy is uh, an abuser and kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. and his wife and his child have had to take out restraining orders against him so you know do i don't really want to support somebody like that but fuck i really like their music it's annoying yeah could you yeah. stop being pieces of shit already um yeah. and obviously that's that should be the absolute last important least important takeaway from that but like mm. it's hard when you really really love something and the person mm. the creator of it even you know 10 15 years later turns out to be not uh yeah. not somebody you really want to uh, support anymore it'd be like absolutely bought michael jackson records in the 80s you know the fact yeah. that he still played on radio blows my fucking mind um but it's an interesting aspect i've seen a lot of people critical of people who are still playing the game but i think yeah. with you i kind of feel like it comes down to how you personally feel and what you choose and you're not really mm. going to affect uh you're not really going to affect change much doing this way yeah me by me buying or not buying the game has not made one tiny iota of difference to JK Rowling, positively or negative in her light. She got her money for doing nothing in this scenario. So 
let people enjoy their games if they want to if they're as long as they're not spouting the same bullshit as jk rowling or spouting anti-semitism because of anything in the game it falls into a gray area for me i'm enjoying the game but i am very aware of those cultural horrible touchstones on that um, rather less pleasant note that's an interesting read so it sounds like it, on the upside it's a good game if you mm. uh you don't care for the uh politics of the situation yes absolutely the, the game, looking at it as a fantasy game where you are a wizard casting spells going around an, a, a realized open world this is a really enjoyable game it's got a couple of bad baggage pieces uh, it's uh, a nonetheless. Uh, yes, I think that's 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 the show. That's I think that's a show. Just over an hour thirty. We're doing it, people. We're doing it. <laughs> we <laughs> promised <laughs> and we delivered. But thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us live or after after the event on the Twitch, on YouTube, on the podcast services everywhere. Don't forget that you can reach out to us if you've got recommendations for movies for us to watch. Facebook.com slash Armchair Producers, um, Twitch.tv slash The Fry Brain, um, at The Fry Brain, at Evil Trav on Twitter. Love to hear from you. Don't forget, you can get $10 off your first subscription with um, Restream, just up using that, and that is active. Even if you go to this video after the fact, you'll be able to get $10 off and give us a little bit as well if you'd like. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, next week we are going to be talking about Promising Young Woman as our chain movie, following on from this week's Delight Best in Show. Quite a I change of set this weekend I will be seeing Ant-Man Quantumania. Do you think you'll have a chance to see it before next week? I hope to. I probably can fit it in. So yes, that's we'll we'll, we'll tend to you have our ant-man review for you next week and something else something else we've got a few little things cooking on the back burner mm -hmm. but until next time ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for joining us good night, good night.